welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm 22 today. Psalm 22 uh, is another Psalm of David. We're told specifically uh, in those opening words of the Psalm. And Psalm 22 is also a Psalm that in some ways is quite familiar. Now, some parts of it are not, but the very first line of the Psalm is quite familiar because these are words that Jesus himself spoke from the cross. So what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through the psalm, and then we'll come back and highlight uh, some of the connections that are made uh, to Jesus and his experience and how those are related to the psalm. Uh, and then we'll talk, of course, at the end about how we can pray from the psalm. So Psalm 22, beginning of verse 1, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So right there at the beginning, David is talking about this uh, experience or feeling of being abandoned and forsaken by God. Um, and this is a persistent thing, apparently, because he says in verse 2 that he's crying out day and night and is getting no relief, no rest. And he's feeling, again, abandoned by God. This is something that um, is not uncommon for God's people to feel. It doesn't mean that God has actually left you. The Bible promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. Um, but we do at times go through periods where it feels like God is not near, that God is not hearing our prayers, God is not answering. That is not abnormal. All right, then he goes on, verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So David reminds himself there of how God has been faithful in the past. How uh, those who've gone before him trusted in God and God delivered them. He, he took care of them. He rescued them. What David wants God to do for him God has done for his people in the past. But it's not what David is experiencing in this moment. In fact, in verse 6, he says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, and they make, uh, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And this is what they say. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in me. So David is being mocked and scorned by other people. He feels alone, ostracized, like an outcast. And he says, you know, they're, they're basically saying, if you trust God so much, why doesn't God just rescue you? Right? If God loves you, why doesn't God do something about your situation? Um, and nothing's being done, right? Nothing is happening. Verse 9, he says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. So again, David is reminding himself of the past, this time not the past of uh, Israel's past, right? but his own past, that God has been there, been at work uh, from the beginning of his life, even from his birth. And so he's asking God not to abandon him now, not to be far off now, but to be near and to help him because he's got no one else who can help him. 
And then he says, verse 12, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, this is the, the climax of David's description of his suffering. He's surrounded by these evil people that he describes in beastly terms, right? So he calls them bulls in verse 12. He calls them dogs in verse 16. Uh, I think in some versions of um, verse uh, 16, there's a mention of uh, them being like a lion. Uh, and so they are these um, dangerous, violent, aggressive, evil people who are surrounding David. Uh, and there's mention of a lion in verse 13 as well. Um, and his physical suffering that he's describing is intense and terrible, right? He's, he talks about being poured out like water and his bones all being out of joint and his heart being melted and his tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth, uh, as it were, and, and you know, basically being left to die, um, lay me in the dust of death, right? So it's incredibly intense and terrible suffering that he's experiencing. Um, he talks about uh, being able to count all of his bones, his clothing being uh, divided up amongst those who um, have, you know, surrounded him. Uh, and so he's been stripped of his clothing and they're, you know, separating out amongst them. It's, it's really terrible uh, and awful uh, suffering that he's experiencing. Right? And then he says, uh, verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So he calls upon God again to deliver him, to rescue him, to protect him. Uh, and it sounds like by the verse, by the end of verse 21, that David is reflecting on God having done this, having answered his prayer, having rescued him. And so then he says, verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So now David is saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to call upon others to praise you. Right? Um, and I love what he says in verse 24. Um, about God, that he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. So think about when someone experiences um, intense, terrible physical suffering, uh, there's a sense in which um, our eyes often uh, turn away from that person. We don't want to see uh, 
the effects of that suffering. And it's hard for us to look at. You think about what, what it would have been like for somebody uh, who had leprosy, for example, in Jesus's day. Um, it's not just that you wouldn't want to touch them, but people wouldn't want to be near them, probably wouldn't even want to look at them. And yet David says when his affliction was terrible and his suffering was awful, that God did not despise him because of that. He did not hide his face from David because of what he had experienced. But instead, God heard his prayer and he responded. He rescued David. So when you feel like maybe what's going on in your life um, is so terrible that people are, are keeping their distance from you, they don't want to make eye contact, um, things like that, um, God does not respond to us that way. God does not look away when everybody else wants to look away. That God still hears us. God still cares for us, even in our affliction. All right, then verse 25. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. So there at the end, um, David talks about the fact that all the nations are going to worship the Lord, that he's king over all the nations, and that he's going to be worshipped by all in the days to come, right? So even though David's experience has been terrible, he has um, this hopeful outlook, um, and not hopeful in the wishful sense, but in the, the certain sense, a uh, hopeful outlook about what is going to happen at the end. So that's a quick overview of Psalm 22. How, do, how is this psalm connected to Jesus? Well, we already mentioned, of course, in verse 1, is quoted by Jesus himself on the cross. Right? So that's a really clear, um, indisputable right connection that Jesus himself is making, um, that this psalm is connected to him, this psalm is fulfilled in him. David, or that Jesus cries out with David's words, right? articulating his own experience on the cross, of um, of this uh, forsakenness, right? And so we that that much was clear. Um, then also in verse eighteen, it talks about lots being cast for his clothing. We you, that probably rang a bell when we read it, right? That that happened to Jesus as well. That they literally cast lots for his clothes when he was dying on the cross. But even more than that, in verse seven, when he talks about, he says, "All who see me mock me." They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. See the same thing happening to Jesus in Matthew 27 and verse 39. It's Matthew says, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Right? Just like David said, they wagged their heads. Uh, verse 8 of Psalm 22, they mocked him by saying, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. In Matthew 27, verse 43, again, people mocked Jesus saying, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. So just like they said to David, you know, you trust, trust God, let's see God save you. In the same way people said to about Jesus, he trusts in God, let's see God rescue him from this death, from this crucifixion. Uh, so um, multiple parts of this psalm are specifically 
highlighted by Matthew as being fulfilled uh, in Jesus. You also can uh, see a connection perhaps in David's description of his heart melting like wax and Jesus' uh, being pierced in his side so that the blood and the water flowed out uh, in John uh, chapter 19, I believe it is, that um, you see that perhaps echoed there. And then the reference to Jesus' being able to count all of his bones in uh, verse 17 could be an indication that none of his bones have been broken, which, of course, John also highlights in John 19 as another evidence of the fact that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's fulfilling um, the, the role, the place, the significance of the Passover lamb, and none of its bones were to be broken, according to the instructions in Exodus uh, chapter 12. So that could be a connection to Jesus as well. And then something else that I, I didn't see on my own, but that I think is really helpful. Um, Hamilton, of course, I'm, I'm always referring to his commentary and leaning on his commentary. And, and he says um, about uh, one of these connections between Jesus and Psalm 22. He says, the near or perhaps metaphorical death that David describes for himself in Psalm 22, 15. So when David says, you lay me in the dust of death, he's talking about that being, um, you know, an experience of David perhaps being close to death. Um, got that from Hamilton, pointing that out. And he says, that experience uh, is answered by God delivering him as though he has been raised from the dead in Psalm 22, verse 23. So for David to go from, I'm in the dust of death, to I will praise you in the midst of the congregation, 22 and 23, uh, Hamilton is saying that it's it's a kind of resurrection, right? It's as though he's been raised from the dead, he says. And that's similar. That sounds a little bit like a stretch. It's similar to what Hebrews 11 says about uh, Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was told to offer up Isaac on the altar, um, and God intervened at the last minute, right? And he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac, but he uh, sacrificed a ram instead. That uh, Hebrews 11 says something to the effect of Abraham believed that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. Remember, he's the, he's the promised son for God's promise to keep going. Isaac needs to live. So Abraham was figuring, even if I kill Isaac, God will be able to raise him from the dead. And so he says, that's what he was thinking. And then it says, which figuratively speaking, he did. That is, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Isaac didn't actually die but he was so close to killing him, and then he got to have him back alive, right, that it was a kind of figurative resurrection. Similar thing could be going on here in Psalm 22, that David was so close to death, he thought he was going to die, perhaps, but then God delivered him, and it's a sort of resurrection, a new life. And so that obviously is fulfilled uh, even more so in Jesus, who did actually die and was actually raised from the dead. Um. God heard Jesus' cry, right, and delivered him. He, he delivered him so that he was victorious over death. And then uh, the description of everybody worshiping God at the end, that's going to happen with Jesus, that he's going to be worshiped by all. Um, uh, was it Philippians 2? It talks about how God's given Jesus the name above all names, and that every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So um, all, I mean, just, all through Psalm 22, uh, lots of ways that the psalm 
of David's suffering and deliverance is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus' suffering and deliverance. So finally, how can we pray uh, or learn to pray from Psalm 22? Well, one, uh, pray when you feel forsaken, right? Pray when you feel like God is not there. Pray when you feel like God is not hearing you. Pray anyway, and don't be afraid to say that you feel forsaken. David said it. You can say it if that's what you are experiencing. And then ask God to be near, right? Because that's what we want. We want God to be near. We want God to help. So ask him to do that. Uh, it's okay to recount your suffering, even good and right and, and healthy to recount your suffering, to tell God, this is what's happening. This is what is going on. That's what David does. Um, and he models that for us. Um, plead for deliverance, right? Ask God, get me out of this. Please rescue me. Um, and then praise God when he answers. Right? Um, it's okay for us to um, talk about our suffering and to express our feeling of forsakenness when we're going through that. But then we also need to praise God when he answers and, and give him glory when he hears. Um, and then finally, remember that the good end that is coming. Right? Remember um, that though you are experiencing terrible suffering now, perhaps, that um, God's promises are still going to be fulfilled, but in the end, all are going, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess everyone that's going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Um, and it's going to be good, right? Where it's going is good. And so, um, that's where we want to end, right? With a reminder to ourselves, even in our prayers of what God is going to do. Um, so that even when we are struggling, right, we are reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness and his goodness and God's promises of us.